Welcome to The Peel, where we break through the surface of sustainability in Florida and get to the juicy stuff at the center of it all. I'm your host, Amber Whittle, Executive Director of South Bay, Sarasota. We're a nonprofit that is increasing the resilience, affordability, and health of Florida's buildings and communities, and we're saving the planet along the way. Check out our programs and events at southface.org, Sarasota. Our guest today is Alexandra Mars. She's a recent New College grad and a Florida House permaculturist. Welcome, Alex. Hello. Thanks for joining us on The Peel. So in your thesis, you discuss the modern disconnect from nature. How does this manifest and what are the consequences? So I refer to the disconnect in a couple different ways, but um, mostly in a broader sense in our culture, in our world, we are exploiting a lot of the earth's resources through extracting oil, um, growing like palm trees and cutting down rainforest. And there's a lot of extraction from nature. And uh, in my belief, in order to take those actions, we have to have some level of disconnect from the fact that we live on and rely on these resources that are already creating themselves there. Um, And, you know, the biggest consequence is climate change. Uh, The earth is literally rejecting the way that we're treating it because we are extracting and not giving back and creating, we're not living in the way the earth lives, which is cyclical. We're just like taking and then supplementing and then throwing into like a trash heap. And it also affects us personally too. So it affects us on the larger scale, but then each individual person doesn't have that time that people used to really spend in nature. Right. Yeah. And that's also part of the, the, like the grind where we're working all the time and we don't have the time to just go like sit outside and enjoy the nature that's around us and really appreciate that. And that is what increases the connection so that we can even just make smaller choices in our day to day to like compost and like go and garden and do something that's feels good and also good for the environment. You're lucky you got to do that for a job and the garden looks great. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm very grateful to have done that. I love this garden. So your thesis was on the history of psychedelics. So can you give us a short overview of classic psychedelics? Yeah, so there's literally centuries of history with the use of classic psychedelics, which classic psychedelics are uh, psilocybin, LSD, psilocybin comes from magic mushrooms, LSD, which is usually in the form of like a tab um, or blotter paper, Um, DMT, which is probably most known from ayahuasca, which is, it's a part of ayahuasca. It's not the only ingredient, but it's a part of it. And uh, mescaline, which is the cactuses that Native Americans around the Americas have used for a long time. So there's a lot of history um, indigenous history in the past that of use, even in places like Greece and, uh, old like Europe. Um, and the more modern history and the more relevant history to right now is it started out in the fifties and, uh, people like Stanislav Graf and, uh, Aldous Huxley, they started to discover that psychedelics could be a window into the mind, into the psyche. And so research started and then um, Timothy Leary kind of uh, got his mind blown by psychedelics and was like uh, kind of uh, putting it out to the public. And so 
hippies and people, activists got a hold and of these substances and then it just exploded and then the government was like, no. So all research got restricted and um, uh, all psychedelic substances were made into a schedule one, uh, which is means that they have no medical use and uh, are, act- are, are uh, like likely to be abused. And um, that's happened until around the 80s and 90s where people started to be like, um, why are these illegal? These are things that could be really helpful in mental health and even physical health. And uh, they've started to come back. And now we're seeing like a whole new renaissance of uh, things like microdosing and um, ayahuasca is huge and people are really paying attention to these substances and what they can help us with. Are they still illegal? So they are still illegal. Um, There's a couple that aren't. So ketamine is not. Ketamine is not a classic psychedelic, but um, that one is used in therapy. Uh, But yeah, mescaline, LSD, psilocybin, and DMT are mostly legal, but there are places like Colorado and Washington and California that have some loopholes and decriminalizations and um, where they can. And oh, and Oregon actually just made it legal for psilocybin therapy. So there's some, it's starting to become legal, but it's mostly still illegal. Um, But people are still have access for sure. Yeah. So I've heard of people use ketamine before. Mm -hmm. So that's not a classic, but you said that it's under, you can use it for therapy. So does that mean it's sort of like a prescription drug? So it's legal if there's like, if it's under some sort of doctor or healthcare provider. Okay. Yeah. So you actually go to the office and they administer it to you through IV and go through a whole, um, like couple hours experience with the ketamine. So yeah, that is different because there wasn't a lot of stigma around ketamine. So ketamine was more easily able to be made legal when people found benefits from it. Okay. Where's ketamine from? If it's not a classic, is it It's lab? a synthetic. Oh, it's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Class, so classic psychedelics are, doesn't mean they're not synthetic, but um, they're from, they uh, agonize the serotonin receptor, which is basically they act the same in the brain. Okay. So um, they do this like, uh, trigger the same things in the brain, which is a lot of is is uh, increasing connections between different pathways in your brain. Okay. You propose that the use of modern psychedelics can bridge the gap of our nature disconnectedness. How do you put those two um, ideas together? Yeah. So, in my own experience, and then the experience of the people that I interviewed in my thesis. I discovered that nature just kind of creeps into those experiences with psychedelics. You'll um, not necessarily be intending to connect with nature as an entity or as just like seeing the beauty around you and really feeling a very classic um, thing that happens when uh, taking psychedelics is breathing of things that aren't normally breathing. So like you would see leaves moving in a way that feels like they're alive and they're breathing. And that um, kind of animates and brings this empathy to the human experience of this other entity. And uh, so through experiencing nature through psychedelics, you can, there's a greater way of connecting um, the significance of that also, like how, how it's connected us 
through like we wouldn't be alive without nature, without the food, without the systems that it's created for us. And that is more apparent when you are on a classic psychedelic um, because the cycles are very clear to see often. This is often an experience. Um, I had like 90% of my participants say that nature was like a very big part of their psychedelic experience. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I think that by taking psychedelics in a like a intentional setting where we're sitting in nature and we're um basically commuting with the nature that's around us we can have a greater way of relating to how we can interact and create a cycle with nature rather than just like living and then nature is also there without there being the interaction yeah and so once people have their psychedelic experience um, if nature is included, does it stick around after the experience ends? So studies often show that it's a, like they take they've gone up to like the one that I've read is about a year and it decreases a little bit. But there is still nature relatedness. There's still a level of connection to nature. And once the habits of even just like environmental, um, it's like pro environmental behavior is what it's called. So. Mm-hmm you're acting toward and positively towards the environment, things like composting and um, driving your car less and going out in nature more and like picking up trash and all of those things are like pro-environmental behaviors. Those increase after your nature relatedness increases. And those will, those will, once you start doing them, they kind of stick because yeah. it's like becomes a habit. Um, so there is potential for that to be a, a significant change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. So you touched on um, psychedelics and mental health with ketamine. Are there other psychedelics um, that are being used for mental health treatment? You had mentioned um, mushrooms, those being used in Oregon. Yeah. So psilocybin is the most uh, researched substance for depression, specifically depression that doesn't respond to other treatments, um, has shown to decrease depression and um with one or two treatments. So the way that they've done it hasn't, it will somewhat stay consistent for up to the six month period, but it does decrease a little bit. Um, but yeah, the psilocybin has definitely shown help, shown to help in, uh, depression, anxiety, and addiction. So addiction specifically to tobacco, they did alcohol in like a couple studies, but the ones that I've looked at are tobacco and they, uh, by taking a psychedelic, you, it's easier to get off of whatever you're addicted to. Um, also care, like, um, when you get, when you are diagnosed with cancer or you're about to die, uh, taking psilocybin and be guided through the experience it decreases that like end of life anxiety and creates a better, like a way to accept that you're leaving this life. Um, those things have all been researched and are like seemingly significantly helping people. Yeah. And so you're talking about a guided experience. Yes. So tell me the difference between that. Cause you know, everyone's heard of like the bad trip, especially on LSD. So tell me about how like a guided experience is different and how it works. Yeah. So a guided experience, you would have someone who is experienced in taking the substance themselves, understands the substance, um, is not on the substance when guiding you through and, um, 
most like most beneficially has experienced in as a therapist or as someone that can hold space for someone going through difficult times. Um, so when that person can be there and hold space for you while you're going through this, this experience that brings up a lot of stuff that maybe you don't want to look at necessarily. Um, and it can be without a guide when you're by yourself, those can be dark and terrifying and, um, you can feel kind of lost. So it's kind of like the guide is an anchor that is holding your hand through the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a big belief that, uh, the guides should not be actually guiding anyone to anything, but just like present with the, uh, receiver while they're in the experience, Mm -hmm. just making sure that they know like someone is here. And if you're in this dark place, we can talk you out of that or not necessarily talk, but just uh, let them know that there's someone here and you're not going to be in this experience forever. And that is huge in preventing bad trips or um, experiences that feel like you're scarred for life and all of the stigma that we have around that. And that's like the, the principle of set and setting. So what your mind is and your intention before you go in and then setting is where you are and who you're surrounded with. So this is like for people and college students and people that are just taking it illegally. Those are two things that you should definitely consider before going in. What am I, where am I mentally? How can I hold space for myself? And then who can hold space for me around me and where am I and how comfortable am I? Well, that's, that's good advice for people. You know, if they want to try it, it sounds a lot like therapy, right? So it's almost like you're setting up therapy while you're going in having someone who isn't necessarily telling you what to do, but keeping you grounded. Yes. Yeah, exactly. As you're going. So I wanted to ask a question about LSD. So LSD is, um, usually you said it's on tabs or blotter paper. Mm -hmm. So it's seen as like, um, uh, a synthetic. Is it? So it is kind of a synthetic. Mm -hmm. It originates from ergot, which is a fungus, Mm -hmm. um, that grows on wheat or rye. Um, and, uh, so they, I think, yeah, it was, so it was Albert Hoffman who was researching a substance that would help with, um, pregnant women, I think maybe postpartal, uh, pain, something around pregnant women. And, uh, he ended up discovering LSD and accidentally dosing himself. Um, and it was from the ergot that he was using that. So it is derived from ergot. But it is also a little bit synthetic. So there's a combination of those things. But now it's pretty much synthetically derived. Yeah, where that's -hmm. what people are doing. And so when they were studying it back in like the 60s and 70s, is that what they were studying it for? Was like post-birth or were they studying That was like before they even knew that LSD existed. Okay. But once they knew LSD existed, it was kind of like this crazy rare um, experience because it's so potent. Um, cause Albert Hoffman got a little bit on his finger mm-hmm. and then had a crazy experience and that, that the potency of it is, was mm-hmm. I think fascinating and also terrifying to a lot of people. Um, yeah. So they then started to ex- do it more within the psychological research. Was it PTSD yeah. that they were using it for? I can't remember what their specific, like their main experiments were for with LSD before it got shut down? With LSD, I don't, 
exactly know. I think, I can't remember. Um, I don't think it was PTSD. It may have been, but it was definitely like depression. Yeah. Same as the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for our last question, what do you think the future of psychedelics will be? Do you think they'll ever be legal, used widely, medically or recreationally? Uh, this can be a two-way question. What I really hope to happen is, uh, I really would like them to be completely decriminalized and legal and with guidelines on, um, how to like what's in them. So uh, right now, um, I think, I mean, classic psychedelics aren't the worst. Um, they don't get the most contaminated by like fentanyl and other things that are in a lot of drugs Mm -hmm. nowadays. Um, but they still, I would still highly recommend testing things and it would be really nice to know the potency, to know, um, how pure it is and all of those things and increasing the safety and literally harm reducing what's Mm -hmm. going into your body. Um, those are just like the bare minimums and I would love them to be used medically because I've seen them help people and they've helped me and, um, that would be pretty incredible to see. I like the reality of it. I think things like MDMA, which is not a classic psychedelic, but definitely runs alongside them and has um, huge benefits, um, will potentially be medically legalized in the next couple of years. Is that ecstasy? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that is ecstasy. And it sounds like ketamine already is, at least in medical circumstances, mm-hmm. and some of the states are coming around. So the medical part might might come around because opioids, right? They're legal right. medically. Right. Yeah, um, and they're prescribed so much more than they actually should be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that medically, it's definitely on the horizon, potentially within the next like ten years that we see a lot of these medically becoming regulated and legal in some way. I hope that they also become recreationally legal because they are some of them. And for a lot of people, not any different than drinking alcohol Mm -hmm. and honestly more beneficial for a lot of people for Mm -hmm. like hanging out with their friends and just like taking some mushrooms or taking some LSD and having a wonderful time, which is kind of the way I'd like to change our perspective on psychedelics because it's not, it can help with these things and be really intense and something that needs a lot of attention and it also can be something that's light and playful and brings us back into community. Well, marijuana has definitely made, you know, that shift to legality in a way that we wouldn't have necessarily thought. So yeah, definitely. Maybe maybe all drugs will become legal like it is in some countries. Who knows? Yeah. I think we'll have a lot less addiction and a lot less deaths from drugs if that happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been fascinating. So thank you, Alex. And thanks for listening to The Peel. To get involved with South Face Sarasota, visit southface.org Sarasota. Until next time, stay sunny.